0: Everybody, this is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight's episode is episode 116. Uh, we are covering the top five underrated sequels from Frank. Um, how do you feel about this list, Frank? It feels like we've talked about this one more off-air to me. But, um,
1: yeah, I feel like we've already done the podcast in a lot of ways, so, um, you know. We we'll got a couple we haven't
0: really talked about necessarily
1: right that's true some we've talked about ad nauseum so yes yes fucking balance
0: it is um so this is to some degree linked to last week's episode where we did um our first watch along ever on the primary podcast a predator Two. um so the first thing i want to ask you the idea there was that is also an underrated sequel um of yours would that have ranked on this list somewhere
1: oh yeah 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 it would have definitely knocked the number five movie off the list Mm -hmm. and actually in hindsight when it was too late i had a couple others i thought of that we should have put in the
0: oh well yeah i only thought of two just knowing you for so long that i is exorcist three down the list because we've covered it already
1: yeah yeah Uh plus i i think that in the past like decade plus i think exorcist three is kind of
0: it's had a renaissance yeah
1: yeah like gained some level of respect that it didn't have before
0: yeah, it's actually on lots of underrated lists. Um, if you actually go look at them, um, the other one I thought about that I was actually a little surprised that I hadn't thought of it was Die Hard Two.
1: Is Die Hard Two underrated? Yes, really. Yeah, I know um, that you're not a big fan of it, and nah, I really
0: a lot of people don't. I mean, don't like it compared to the first one.
1: Um, yeah. I mean I think it's a different movie, but I still enjoy Die Hard Two quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's ranked appropriately. Um sixty nine percent from critics, seventy percent from audiences.
1: I, I think that's about right. Yeah. I mean I don't like Die Hard Two better than Die Hard One, I just enjoy Die Hard Two.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think Die Hard Two It's just clunky at times. That's um it's it's a fine movie. I mean. I don't. I don't like dislike it or anything. Um, I just don't think it's as good as One War Three. Like that's it. <clears throat> um, so, what were the other ones that you thought of after the fact? Do you remember?
1: I thought about putting um, Alien Three on the list. Hmm. Um, I know a lot of people hate Alien Three, but I think Alien Three is unfairly maligned. Um, I mean, I don't think it's a like great movie, but I think it's got a lot of interesting ideas in it, and it's definitely something that's trying to take it in a different direction from the previous films. Um, I know that gremlins 2 isn't as well liked as gremlins. Um, And I really like gremlins Two a lot. Like I think it's a really fun movie. Um, Definitely better. I think than some people give it credit for. Um, These are also movies that I saw in the theater when I was younger. So I have really fond memories of them for that reason.
0: Those two has also experienced a renaissance in the past ten years. I think largely
1: in part to the Keen Peel sketch. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's probably true. Um, I can't think of anything else. Yeah. That I really thought of as like underrated.
0: <clears throat> yeah, there was one other thing that I couldn't that I that I did see on a list somewhere, and then I forgot to write it down, so I couldn't remember
1: uh, what it but, was. I think that most sequels. They're either really... I, I think they're properly held in the scene. Like, maybe at one point you could have put... I don't know. If we hadn't just talked about it, maybe um, Temple of Doom could be on that list. Um, I don't know. What, um, of, oops, Craig, go ahead. I was going to say, a lot of sequels are horror sequels. And... Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's really... Like, we have one horror sequel on this list, but i mean i don't know like there's two is yeah yes oh right right right
0: (laughs) it's the one that you just always keep forgetting it
1: i know and it's just was my favorite watch on this whole list um like texas chainsaw massacre too. is that movie underrated you know like i how do you
0: i i and i'm glad that you brought that up because that is certainly um Something I thought about is like how you how, how did you kind of like how do you define underrated and then also how did you go about ordering this list two different questions
1: uh so I defined underrated by movies that either in my lifetime I experienced being like critically maligned or that I've heard people like bitch about repeatedly as not as good as their previous sequels or sure you know, like, not good at all, or movies that, like, are, were made fun of a lot. So, I don't know. I mean, any movie is only as good as the viewer, right? So, like, pretty much any movie, well, not any, movie, there's a lot of movies you could call underrated that have a special place in somebody's heart. Sure. Like, I'm uh, sure there's somebody who loves, like, I don't know, like, Scream 3 or some shit, but. Right.
0: Um, Scream 4 is on a lot of lists um oddly um i don't know why because it's not a good movie but um but a lot of people have that on there uh what do you think i i saw psycho 2 on a number of
1: lists well it's underrated by me because i think movie is fucking boring and i'm not a fan of it
0: um I just want to walk through a few of them that I saw that was common on lists. Um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey.
1: Yeah, it's not a good movie.
0: Um, Jason Li- Jason Lives.
1: Um, I don't think that's underrated. Six. Is that part six or part five? I thought five was... Which-
0: Unless they haven't mislabeled it, six.
1: Um... Oh, is- that's the that that's the one where they jab the um fucking spike into the ground and lightning hits somebody and comes back to life. Oh yeah, right. I like that one. one.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that
1: one. But is it under? That, that, this is my point. Like, right. Yeah. Who's rating the Friday the Thirteenth movies and being like, you know, poo pooing Friday the Thirteenth Part Six? And I don't know. Yeah. If anything, I think Four is underrated. But I think Four is like. The best or second best
0: yeah. so how'd you go about ordering this list did you just pick your underrated movies and then just order them according to like your kind of like favorite rewatching them or did you try to rank them according to their underrated nature
1: um no it's both those questions um i put the movies <laughs> you, just, so you I may- can just say
0: no to the question if you want and we can move I- on
1: I put the movie that I made the biggest mistake on at number five. Mm-hmm. Um, that I still have like some defense for, but it was much worse than I remembered it. Yeah. Um, before I watched it again, uh, and then after that, I don't know. I mean, the number four movie I think is was rated highly when it first came out, and I think like then suffered a lot of detriment afterwards. Like, it became, like, lesser rated as, like, the days and weeks went on after its release. Right. Um, the third and second movie, like, just because I, the, the top three movies, like, I love all three of those movies. And I just feel like they're not held in as high esteem by, like, fans of those series. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is why, like, I put them on there and I just put them on. I actually kind of put them on in order by how good a movie I think they are, like, in yeah. terms of their gotcha. cinematic quality. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, least to highest, I guess, from yeah. three to one.
0: Okay. Um well, uh, this will be paired with next month um, before we jump in the list here. In August, we will be doing um, overrated, uh, the top five overrated sequels of all time. Um, and then the uh, other episode besides our um, 90s horror episodes that month will be, uh, we'll have a friend of the podcast, Michael Bledsoe, coming on to talk about Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Um, that is also thematically linked, if you want to spoil her, um, for that month. So... <clears throat> um yeah so I'm ready to jump in um to your um, mistake um so number five on your list is 1989's Ghostbusters 2 directed by Ivan Reitman and stars Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and Peter Nic- Nickel. and I just found out that Max von Sydow did the voice of Vigo the Carpathian um And that has a 53% from critics and a 61% from audiences. All of these fit in some way your criteria for being underrated by audiences or critics. Um, So you want to just tell us a little bit about Ghostbusters 2 um, and uh, why you put it on the list?
1: Um, So the sequel to one of the more popular um, films of the 1980s um, follows the exploits of the now i don't know what you call them like shamed or fallen on hard times ghostbusters who have all like been forced to go back to sort of like doing other jobs because they got sued um after saving new york city and now they're all destitute for the most part um peter Venkman, played by bill murray is a sleazy television host of a psychic tv show um Ray Stance and Winston Zedmore are um, basically like go- Ghostbusters cosplayers who go out and dress up in their costumes and sing the um, Ray Parker Jr. song at um, like birthday parties, even though everybody wants e man which is really funny to me. Um, and Egon has gone back to academia and is doing a study on how um, – emotions both positive and negative can affect the environment so setting the tone for the rest of the movie basically um this really kind of derogatory caricature of a eastern european man janos is the head of restoration at the museum i guess the met maybe um and is restoring this giant portrait of Vigo, the carpathian who is this despotic Um, what would you call him like tyrant? I guess who ruled over Carpathia and Barovia, Bavaria, somewhere, uh, um, during like the 14th century. Um, he's in love with uh Sigourney Weaver's character, um, Dana, right? Dana, yeah, um, Dana Bear. So it turns out that Vigo the Carpathian is trying to. Use Yanosh to come back to life. He needs to inhabit the body of a child to do so. Um, Dana happens to have had a child somehow in the interim between having a relationship with Vankman uh, at the end of Ghostbusters 1 and is then like broken up with him, gotten married, gotten pregnant, birthed a child, and is now like a single mother in New York. Um, there's a river of slime under New York City that reacts to positive and negative emotions. Um, the Ghostbusters investigated and are basically put on trial because there's a restraining order against them doing any kind of like what is it supernatural or parapsychological, parapsychological like research. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, like ghosts come out in the courtroom and they save um, the judge and they're spared from basically getting thrown in jail for like years. I don't like it's it's so weird the hate for the Ghostbusters in this movie. Um things transpire and eventually um, they end up fighting Vigo in uh, the museum after bringing the Statue of Liberty to life with a bunch of slime and a um, NES advantage controller um, and they go to the museum and they rescue Dana and beat Vigo and that's it happily ever after that's the movie so I,
0: I, I seriously, like, after the first, like, 15 seconds just tuned you out. Like, I, I just, like, um, purposely tuned you out because it was making me angry listening to you describe this fucking movie.
1: I thought so I was going to be
0: more chill, but I, I don't know if I can. Be.
1: I mean, you can you can tear into it. It's fine. I don't come here to, de, you know, to defend Ghostbusters 2. I just come here to kind of, like, bury it less than others might (laughs) ghostbusters 2 is one of the last movies of my childhood really um i was 13 i guess when it came out so i was still somewhat like into i don't know kid movies basically um i still got excited like i loved ghostbusters so much that i was super excited to see you know i was still watching the cartoon every every night and or every afternoon and really into the idea of the Ghostbusters so a sequel was super exciting to me and I guess I didn't really have good taste yet so I really enjoyed the movie um and I've only seen it once maybe since then um so when we started talking about underrated sequels it's the first thing I thought of because I know a lot of people hate Ghostbusters too there's a lot of missteps in this movie um but I think they were trying if I can like provide any defense to it, I think they were trying to really solidify Ghostbusters as like a premier franchise in a lot of ways. Um, So you cut a lot of the risque humor out. You cut a lot of the adult references out. Um, You take that like kind of sardonic wit that Ghostbusters have and you sort of get rid of it. it
0: completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so in essence, what they did was they made, and I, I said this to you the other night and I, I stand by this description it's basically a pilot for a sitcom that just lasts for an hour and a half because it's all a bunch of like loosely connected scenes with things happening and people reacting in quote unquote funny ways to those things happening and then just moving on to the next thing that may or may not be related to the thing that came before it. Um, they try to force one liners a little too much, like that's a little tiresome in the movie. Um, they kind of I mean, the Ghostbusters aren't necessarily, like... I mean, they're fully formed characters in Ghostbusters 1. And they kind of turn these dudes into caricatures of themselves. Like, they lose any kind of real emotional depth and just become, like, boiled down to their essence of what kind of comedy trope they are. To the point where, like, Winston doesn't even really have a part in the movie, if you think about it. Like, he's, like, basically a non-entity. But... That thing
0: that uh, I think you were out of the room when I was talking about the other night, that thing with Winston under the under the city and like with the train and all that kind of stuff and the way they do like his like, you know, reaction and hair feels really exploitative to me in some way.
1: Sure, it is. Probably was exploitative at the time, too, a little bit. Um, so i like the vigo stuff i know you're not a fan of that but I, i'm i i like the look of it i like the idea of like his essence being in this painting whatever like just waiting for the right time to rise again um i like sigourney weaver in this movie i think she's actually like probably my favorite character in the movie um which isn't saying much because generally how much going on but
0: nobody does i mean she's just like everybody else
1: i love annie potts like i think it's kind of ridiculous that they put pair annie potts with um uh what's his name the rick moran lewis 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 tully
0: one of the dumbest things in the entire movie is the fact that she's not with
1: only because they both have glasses and it's like an easy like gag to have them making out like while they're waiting for um dana to come back from her date with bill murray It's, it's it's so idiotic yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to defend. I don't know. I remember, like, I would start to, I, I would, I was watching it, and I watched this the other day, so it's not, it's not been that long. And I would watch a scene, and I would think, like, oh, right, this scene. Like, I like this scene. And then that scene would play out, and I'd be like, hmm, not as good as I remember it being. Right. And that's, that's just happened like 15 times throughout the course of the movie. Um, I don't understand like making the mayor hate him again after they save the mayor. And 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 not no disrespect to Kurt
0: Fuller whatsoever. Like I think he's a fine like character actor, but why in the hell is the Walter Pet character not back, who already is established despises the Ghostbusters, and why don't you have him come back and this time? If you're going to replay that trope, I, I I don't know if you need to be replaying it and put him in a psychiatric ward rather than jail because that's the that's the biggest problem with this movie is it just repeats like a lot of the shit from the first movie to me, um, including that and like why is it not the water pack character?
1: I mean, well, because he has no dick, <laughs> right? Um. Look, they picked the right guy to replace him. I mean, that's like Kurt Kurt Fuller's bread and butter is being Mm -hmm. slimy, unctuous, second banana to some like figure of power that he's either manipulating or is being manipulated by. Right. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I've rewatched. I've given this movie so many chances in my life. I swear I've watched this
1: movie. Yeah, I don't know. What's up? No, go
0: ahead. Oh, I, uh, you broke up for a second, so I couldn't hear what you said. Um, but I, I've just given it so many chances in my life, and I think this is the last chance I'm ever giving it. I don't think it's worth giving it any more chances. Um, I never really cared for this movie like that much, but I particularly hated growing up the last 25 minutes of it. Um, I hate the final scene, like the final battle scene. I don't like it um and but it looks like when i examined why i didn't like it it's because i think it's a passive villain i don't think it's a very interesting villain um and i hate the statue of liberty shit and all the statue of liberty shit when you take all that back goes back to the damn mood slime which i think is a stupid concept um and so really it's just like i just like dislike the plot of this entire movie and then as I, as I examine that more, I realize and watch it again. It's like, I realized, like, oh, like, why are you starting these guys being failures? I think it really, like, limits everybody that, like, Ray and um, um, Winston are being made fun of, basically, in that opening scene with the children. Um, I think you weaken them a lot by doing that. And... I just don't find anybody doing anything interesting in this. I don't think it makes logical sense from the first movie. You have to do the suit thing to make them destitute, basically, um, in order to have them go back to square one, really, to rebuild themselves and come back together so you can replay that plot from the first movie because it worked the first time. And they did the same damn thing, which I think is the worst part of all of it, is the idea that Bankman... So, so Dana Barrett, who was, what, a cellist, right? Or something like that?
1: Yes, a concert cellist.
0: Right, is like, has gotten married, had a kid, gotten divorced in the five years, and now is working at, yeah, whatever, like the equivalent of the Med is in this fictional universe. Like, so she's changed professions. She has a kid. Why, I just don't understand why the kid's not Bankman's. It makes no I sense. About that. They only did it because they think if they're not together, they can have that banter. I'm positive that's what it is. They just wanted to repeat the first movie. And um, it's this really cynical thing like where it's like they they thought they couldn't have the banner um, uh, if they were married. And um, I just think it's a really cynical outlook on the entire thing. And... Because you could have, and you could have strengthened Murray's character's story by having him be the father to that child, who eventually, who, who was still trying to do his bullshit on television, and everything, and start his second career, and is kind of ignoring his son for the sake of his career, <clears throat> and it could have actually been more meaningful um, by the end to have him like save uh, whatever the. It's, it's I don't judge right, but that then much, you have but an to... ugly damn baby too. Um, <laughs> and it's made even it should be because he kind of looks like him um, You're pretty
1: clever Janusz.
0: so so the last thing I had to say about this and I'll shut up about it because this is just you did that NES advantage thing too on purpose you mentioned that on purpose like because you know that it drives me fucking nuts um
1: it's the thing I remember about it the the, most. Wor-
0: the worst seen in this entire movie is when oscar gets kidnapped by the ghost nanny that's like pushing the stroller through the sky on like whatever floor they're on like you know in this apartment building and it like draws him out of the window and then like it's 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 vigo's face in the nanny and she's dressed up as a like an old school nanny and it's vigo's face and none of it makes any sense because if it's vigo can't escape the painting so how is it vigo's face maybe but is, is yeah. but if the nanny just looks like vigo what's the joke like none of it makes any sense it's stupid it's a fucking idiotic scene that is I I don't even know why it offends me so much, but the whole fucking thing just offends me, and it's like it's my exhibit A of how bad this movie is. I asked you the other night, did you ever think of like what you think the funniest thing in this movie is?
1: What was my response to you when he asked you?
0: You didn't. You couldn't come up with it.
1: I gave you an answer. Did you? Uh huh. What was it? I said that's not fair. I don't like comedy.
0: (laughs) Oh right. Yes.
1: Um, the funniest thing. I, okay, I'll give you like, I'll give you a couple scenes. Um, the scene where it is introduced that Vankman is hosting the psychic television thing. Um, those two actors do a good job by themselves. Like his interactions with them are terrible, but um,
0: yeah, still didn't her,
1: her story where she's like, <laughs> what was it? It's like at the The bar of the Holiday Inn, like Pomona. And he was like, Pomona? And she's like, yeah. And then they led me back to their room. And he was like, "Mm, are you sure that it was? And she's like, well, maybe it was a spaceship. (laughs) It's just like, I mean, it's a really gross implication that she was basically like date raped. But um, like, it's still like her dawning realization that she might not actually know. Also, that the end of the world passed, apparently, according to Ghostbusters 2, because it was february 14th um 2016 so we're uh almost five years past the end of the world at this point yeah which in a lot of ways could possibly be true um
0: so i i think the funniest thing the, the thing that made me actually like kind of chuckle because i think this, the humor in this is really just not clever um compared to the first one and stuff like that but i the only thing that made me laugh is chicha's cameo when the titanic is coming in oh like, right yeah that is, up.
1: That, that is funny
0: um but and it's like here's like this cameo by cheech marin and it to me it's the funniest thing in the damn movie and that's just that's
1: just sad so do you know what my favorite part of this movie is did i tell you this the other night i don't think so it's the fact that they play um bobby brown's on our own like six <laughs> right? times yes in this, like anytime anything is happening <sighs> you get the well i guess we got to take control and it's like they're walking across the street and that song plays they're coming up out of the sewer and that song plays because i guess they couldn't afford any other music except for that really terrible um redux of uh the ray parker jr theme at the beginning and i used to love like I, I kind of, like, knew some rap at 13 years old, but, like, you know, I mean, it was whatever. Like, rap was on for, like, a half hour a week on MTV at that point. Um, So, I knew, like, the lyrics to the rap portion of this by heart, like, after watching this movie. Yeah. I Yeah. What is it? Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. They are the Ghostbusters, and they're in control. Fuck, what is it? At a kid's party, they had them dancing but all the while there was slime under the you're street. Just, I
0: think you're just making shit up now. <laughs> no, I swear to God that's nah, like how it goes. Uh-uh, uh-uh, it's not. There's no dancing in this.
1: Yes, there is. There's
0: no dancing. I'm looking it up right now. There's no There's no dancing right. in that fucking thing.
1: It's too hot to handle, too cold to hold. They are the Ghostbusters in the ink control.
0: Had them oh, like, throwing had, a, had party a party for...
1: for a bunch of children. All the while slime was under the building. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, there's no dancing in that in, in that rap there.
1: <laughs> but they're dancing at the party when they're throwing it for the job. Right. That's I'm sure that's
0: like what yeah. I'm sure that's what happened. Like
1: And then the end is something something about Vigo. Battle my boys. That's not legal.
0: Yeah. Yes. All right.
1: Well I guess it's time we got to take control. We are, we are, we are <laughs>
0: uh, uh I'm glad that you did it. Um on- he was, he, he was singing that like under his breath like all the other It's night.
1: been stuck in my head now for like five fucking days. <laughs> I don't know what to do to get rid of it.
0: All right. <clears throat> I'm done with Ghostbusters. Um, this is going to be an interesting one because we have not talked really like at all like about uh, the number four movie on your list here. Um, and I think you put it on this list just because you want to talk about it. Um,
1: it's accurate. Yeah. I think it's I okay let's yeah let's, so let's,
0: so uh number four on the list is 2017's The Last Jedi directed by Ryan Johnson as stars Daisy Ridley uh oh shit I forgot to look up his name John um Boyega do you think that's how he, how he pronounces his yeah, name yeah Boyega Boyega okay um Adam Driver Os- Oscar Isaac Mark Hamill Carrie Fisher or a slew of others has a 90 percent from audience or critics and a 42 percent from audiences um, so I don't know how much you need to really explain about this movie, but, um, I guess give a short synopsis maybe. And, um, uh, right. wh- so the, why you want to talk about it.
1: the middle film in the last currently last Star Wars trilogy, um, detailing, uh, the rebellions, uh, basically fleeing the first Republic, um, and then trying to find a way to escape them, that's the whole movie, Is it's just a chase, like a space chase, basically, and then examines the different characters and tries to build characterization to, you know, some characters from the first movie that were sort of underutilized or maybe not fully explored. Um, and the
0: other main thing going on in that movie is Ray <clears> trying to convince Luke Skywalker to yeah, come back trainer. and join the fight like, um, well and, and to and teach her to be Rey. a Jedi right. sure
1: right. Um, I'm sure that anyone who's interested in seeing The Last Jedi has seen it right. and has their own opinions formed on it um, the thing that I find the most interesting about this movie so look I watched this movie yesterday I guess or two days ago yesterday it was the last one i had to watch um and i still really enjoyed it i think there's a lot of flaws to it but i think overall it's a generally entertaining movie that is maybe not paced the best and is a little overlong in parts but i like the uh, so the general idea is that the first movie builds you up to think that it builds certain like Preconceived no, like like notions in you, in the sense that Ray is somehow connected to some important member of the Force. Do you think maybe it's Kenobi, maybe it's Skywalker, you know, whatever? Maybe the Emperor. Like we had theorized that at the time, um, and that she was meant to be this whatever, like almost like how Luke and Vader before him were these like linchpins in like bringing balance to the Force for a period of time. That that was Ray's thing. So, not a huge fan of the first, whatever that's called, Force Awakens. Um, We don't need to talk about that here. But my expectations were kind of more of the same going into this. And I sort of found that my expectations were subverted somewhat by the fact that I think that Ryan Johnson was trying to make a movie that steered Star Wars in a direction other than just being like a nostalgic cash grab, which is what it had felt like up to that point. Um, and especially because we had been, like, our group of friends, and I think a lot of people in our generation, had been so um, disappointed by the prequels. Like, to have yeah. a Star Wars series that felt like Star Wars, kind of, um, and was trying to do different things, like, not having... Like, not just being a rehash of Empire Strikes Back, which is what I kind of, I think we all thought it was going to be going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea that, you know, you in the beginning, you think that you're going to have a relationship between um, Finn and Rey, and they subvert that by having Finn um, kind of fall in love with this woman who's basically just like a nameless crew member on the ship, like somebody that you wouldn't even like think about in a regular Star Wars movie. Um but investing a character in her and like I like that character. The um what's her name? Kelly Kelly Tran or whatever. And Rose Rose character. Um kind of subverting the expectation of like the the badass flyboy space pilot being like the guy that's gonna save everybody by sort of having him like fuck up and repeatedly fuck up and I think it's maybe a little heavy-handed sometimes to sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say it's like a a feminist statement, but, you know, like you expect in those movies, like that's Han Solo and Luke Skywalker are these guys who are, especially Han Solo, who's like roguish and daring and willing to take chances and ultimately like is the hero and you have Poe who's kind of the same character, but, you know, causes a whole bunch of people to die which i think is a lot more realistic look at somebody who's you know like a risk taker and an egomaniac like being in charge of a battle plan like i thought that's i think that's a really interesting take and kind of like anti-star wars in a lot of ways
0: the the bencio character they do something similar where like you know you think he's going to be the guy that like you know is is the rogue with the heart of gold um Ultimately, kind of. I mean, I guess he's a subversion, Orlando, probably to some degree. Like,
1: uh, sure. yeah, I'm, exactly. Like that's exactly what it is. And and,
0: and you know, and no, he's just will do whatever needs to be done for the right price. You know.
1: um And points <laughs> out one of the things that I think is interesting in that, like, it's sort of um I'm trying to think of a good like analogy to it, but like the idea that okay, well. Sure, these people sold, you know, Tie Fighters and adats to the um First Order, mm-hmm. but they were also selling X-Wings and, you know, whatever bombers to the Rebels. And like, don't they like equally kill people on either side? So, sure. right? Isn't it just really your perspective that makes you the good guys and not the bad guys? Sure,
0: no, and and, and, it, and it puts a, a it, it tints it gray a little bit, um you know, in that I, universe, which is what it needed,
1: and. I I don't know how much, I don't know what people think about this part of it because really mostly people complain about the the more like incel complaints about this movie in terms of like, you know, whatever the wokeness sort of of The Last Jedi. But I personally think the space battles in this movie are the best in all three of the modern trilogy and maybe like outside of the Jedi space battle, like some of the best in all of Star Wars. Like, I love the idea of, you know, taking out the guns so the bombers can come in. And I think that scene is really well um, designed. I don't know if you can say filmed because, like, is it really filmed? But, like, the design of that scene is pretty fantastic. Um, I think that it's, I mean, I know it's kind of a rip off of Battlestar Galactica, but I think that it's kind of a cool idea. The fact that, like, the Empire is just tracking them through hyperspace, which they shouldn't be able to do. Not the Empire. The first order is tracking them through hyperspace, which they shouldn't be able to do, um, and is like consistently keeping up with them to the point where like they're running out of fuel. Like, I think that lends like an air of actual attention to the, you know? Yeah. Um, and one of my biggest complaints about um, Force Awakens is that it feels so small. Like, it feels like two really small groups of people like fighting each other, and then there's this whole gigantic universe. Right, um, and I think that it still feels small here, but at least it makes sense that it's small because it's like this one larger force chasing this smaller, like weakened force to just try and like wipe it out completely, so that there's nobody willing to stand up to them, so they can like expand out to be the new galactic empire. Yeah. Um, I actually, as much as I hated the Snoke stuff when we first watched this movie, like knowing how bad they handle everything in the third movie. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of appreciate the Snoke stuff. Like, I don't know what they could have done with that storyline, but I think it's, again, like a subversion of your expectations that, like, instead of being, like, this great, all-powerful, omniscient bad guy, he's so egotistical that he completely misreads, you know, Kylo Ren's intentions and then gets cut in half. And, Mm -hmm. like, even though he's displayed all this, like, massive power, he's almost an afterthought at that point. Um, and I think it shows like the transient nature of you know you because you've had six movies at this point where you've built up Palpatine or Sidious or whatever you want to call him as being like this preeminent like power that was almost unbeatable right you know With but then like there's this guy who you're sort of meant to think is like that and like look all the complaints about Snoke like the scene where Snoke takes General Hux and basically like body slams him with the force (sighs) yes and right. it's just like humiliating him like that shit like that's that's good and i don't know like i i, I wish that they would have ca- i wish that they would not have caved to yeah so
0: real quick before you get into that aspect of it the other thing that you didn't mention that is that uh, subversion that we both liked i know was um the fact that she she's nobody right um like, that, that comes, like, right after that scene. And I thought that was a way, just another way to set up a world in which you can actually expand off of as sure. opposed to and, keeping it insular.
1: And you do that in, like, the last scene, which you don't end with mm-hmm. any ma- major character, but it's, like... Right. It's basically the idea from A New Hope, kind of, in that there's these tales of, like, the the wars that came before that have inspired these young people you know to want to like leave their home worlds and like branch out and like join this like greater cause and it's this kid who's basically a slave which is also like a nice callback to Anakin in a lot of ways like using the force to grab the broom and then like you know looking up and watching the ship blast across the sky like I think that I mean because what we thought like leaving the auditorium talking about this is that Maybe the next movie is going to be set like a decade in the future, where it's just been like this constant battle. But like Ray has, you know, started to train these like young Jedi to help, and it would kind of be like the opposite of what happened with Anakin, and it would be a nice bookend for the whole like. And then you know, yeah, and,
0: and and one of the scripts she did restart the Jedi Temple, I think, And one of the fucking six scripts that they tried to go through in order to, do, um, you know, fix you know the massive problem that is the last Jedi um
1: but it's like so again like it's not a perfect movie it's got a lot of flaws to it and I think that it's too jokey at times and I think it's too long Mm -hmm. um I think it's I think it's it's almost like a Shyamalan movie where it's like trying so hard all the time to subvert those expectations that it like yes does it too much like having like Phasma built up as this like giant badass villain Mm-hmm. Almost to like rival like a Boba Fett kind of or something, and then you right. just like she just falls falls down. What a fucking like yeah exploded hole and dies. I mean that's silly, and I don't know. yeah. But it looked beautiful watching it in um NHD, 4K or whatever I watched yeah, it on. Yeah. Um, again, I think the space sequences are pretty exemplary. Um, I. I have a complaint with the stuff on crate, um where it, again, it just feels so small that like this is the whole first order, and it's like mm. six adats and a fucking uh cannon or whatever I mean yeah. that's just kind of silly, yeah. but I agree that looks really cool with like the red the red like clay underneath the white dust like all those scenes are pretty neat looking um and I really like I really had a lot of hope that it was gonna come out and just be something like crazy different in the third movie and then they yeah. just sort of
0: yeah yeah i mean i i don't know how you don't you talk about this movie and i think you were gonna get there before i cut you off a little bit ago I, I don't know how you talk about this movie without talking about the backlash um that it received oh yeah and um like you said a lot of it came from this idea that it was super woke um you know that it was and it's it's complaints i never really got the only the only ones i could possibly see is the stuff um a little bit i suppose um but even that like it just feels like people being upset that a woman was right to me
1: (laughs) here's the thing is like
0: and i understand that it is a little heavy-handed it's the most heavy-handed maybe out of all of it but like
1: but they don't even go all the way with that because they're both still smitten with him at the end sure like because
0: they see it as a way to like teach him like a lesson to be a future leader
1: and then they pay it off immediately because he's unwilling to sacrifice more lives in this like ultimate battle that they're having on this planet Whereas, you know, the Poe at the beginning of the movie would have easily like tried to, you know, we got to take down whatever, like these walkers or that, that Imperial shuttle or whatever to, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that, again, I don't know that it's like successful in everything that it does. And I think it is like a flawed movie, but so here's one of my, here's a question I think is, this is one of the reasons why I put this on the list i think it's impossible to separate legitimate fan criticism from unreasonable purposeful internet trolling right like i i don't know i was reading an article the other day about captain marvel for some reason um i don't know how i came upon it but it was basically saying that like captain marvel got these terrible reviews from fans like early on and it was like a targeted attack against a movie starring a woman, and it, it tried to make it this thing where, and you know what? Maybe some of that was true, That's but I don't. Some, some is Marvel true. is, a, I don't think Captain Marvel is a good movie. So, right? How you can't discuss Captain Marvel being like a lackluster film without risking the ire of people who say that you're just being you know you're just you just hate women like you know i mean that's what a misogynist is but you're just trying to like down this movie and make it seem like it's worse than it is because you have an agenda against you know female-led movies and it's like it's made it almost impossible to be critical of things right that's how i felt when with lord of the rings when it first came out like i got so much accusation of like just Like hating the movie just to be different from other people whereas like
0: right we call it right it's like the idea of a hot take now right
1: right like no one can understand the idea that i just didn't like those movies sure it's one of the reasons why i try not to shit on things so much anymore because it's like let people enjoy what they enjoy i guess yeah uh
0: well right i mean I, i i understand i guess that point of view um I don't mind shitting on things because if I don't like it, I can usually explain why I don't like it, and, um, sure. and 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 that's just the difference between people to me. And it's like if you're going to make personal judgments on anybody based on what they like or don't like, then like like we wouldn't be friends <laughs> because <clears throat> there's tons of things we disagree on, like in terms of like you know media and stuff like that, and um, well, yeah. maybe even politically sometimes there's things we don't agree on necessarily.
1: I think if you want to complain about this movie, complain about like how tongue-in-cheek it is with certain things, sure. or how like I mean, look, there's a the, look, there's the casino a, scene
0: that's fucking pointless and it's stupid.
1: Right? There's a fucking scene in this movie where Luke Skywalker graphically milks the teats yeah. mm-hmm. of a phallic alien who's just like lounging by the. It's it's the yes. most weirdly fetishistic, unnecessary scene in the history of movies and it's only done because it's like a psych gag like like fucking criticize that shit sure weird ass and
0: and it does get get criticized but it it, it pales in comparison to look how many things have we had in the past you know five years now that have become these like artifacts of of the culture war that like you know a few years after the fact they don't matter anymore sometimes one year after the fact they don't matter anymore I can't remember what it was there was something I saw earlier today and I was like Oh, right. People, like, had, like, something against that movie. Um, Oh, um, did you ever watch that movie with, um, what's her name? Betty Gilpin, um, called The Hunt from, like, a year or so ago?
1: I refused to watch it.
0: Well, here's the thing, is, like, I I watched it during COVID, because what else am I going to do? And it, well, it was, like, whatever. Like, but, like, it was part of the culture war. Like, Fox News was, like, constantly, like, attacking it for, you know, its anti-Trump, like, sentiment and all these kind of things. And it's, like, it really, like, it really wasn't. Like, you know, it wasn't, like, gone hard, like, you know, in any of that kind of stuff. Um, there's jokes, certainly, like, I think, and there's certainly, like, you know, some some subtle shit. Um, but it became this big thing for, like, three weeks. like a, yeah, you
1: know, Right, well, to the point where they pulled it from premiere. Right,
0: right. So... And you know what nobody fucking remembers it now because it was just part of this fucking culture war that goes on um you know and this, and this got i think unfairly maligned it's like when you go and like actually look at the audience criticism around tomatoes because i read through i want to say 40 percent of it which is a lot you know um there's a, a lot of fucking audience mm-hmm. reviews to read on around tomatoes and look like I don't think it's a coincidence that like the people that like you know have complaints about this movie, and none of them are necessarily making the political correctness, wokeness arguments. They're just talking about how bad it is, like, and, and largely how it ruined Luke Skywalker. Or it is it, there's these like you know kind of like macro, like you know like um, broader complaints you can make that kind of like show what like you what's really bothering you. And it's not a coincidence that it's like all of them are from dudes. And I just started writing down names here, man. Dan, Derek, Michael, Isaiah, Stephen, Patrick, John, David, Christopher, Luke,
1: Joseph. You know, it's, you. It's, it's, <laughs> um, let me can so Can, can I respond to it that? It's ke- not
0: spelled in the same way. Uh, <laughs> so it was not good. I yeah.
1: want to respond to that complaint specifically because... Th- that's something you and i talked about this like three years ago out on your porch we might have been <laughs> to say that it ruins luke skywalker or make any of those complaints shows that you have no ability to make like abstract connections between things in fiction right like plot points or like over like ideas or whatever Luke is doing exactly what fucking Ben Kenobi did at the end of A New Hope, which is sacrificing himself for the greater good in order to allow, you know, the people that need to be there, like the next generation that needs to come through and end the evil in the universe to allow them to escape. I mean, it's the exact same fucking thing. Yes. Like Ben lets his lightsaber down so Vader can strike him down because he was only there as a distraction. And Luke like expends all of his fucking force points or whatever to (laughs) like hold off Kylo Ren and his egomania from going in and like destroying the remnants and it's immediately paid off by Ray saying we're done for like we don't have enough for rebellion and Carrie Fisher saying or Leia saying this is exactly what we need to You know, like spark a Rebellion, which is, you know, or whatever, a dedicated group of people who have been through adversity, blah, blah, blah. Right. But, like, how do you not understand? Like, because you wanted to see Luke Skywalker do some fucking flippy shit. Right. And, like. They
0: wanted to to see him be a badass. Like, that's all they cared about seeing is, like, this dude do a bunch of badass shit.
1: But isn't that the most badass thing? Like, him, like, because you don't know that he's a hologram until 90% of the way through that scene. Right. And him stepping out from, like, the blaster fire and just, like, brushing off his shoulder. Yeah. Dude, that shit is, like, so badass. And mm-hmm. the first time you see it, it's, like, such a huge markout movie. Yeah. I don't know. It's, like, again, not a perfect movie, and I'm not a fan of this, yeah. the third trilogy, whatever you want to call it. The Skywalker trilogy, I think is what they call it. Right. But, like, this is the best one by far out of all three of oh, them. Oh,
0: because what what they do to try to course correct, and I put that in air quotes, is one of the worst fucking movies i've seen in it and i don't, in my entire life
1: right because it makes no sense right we were sitting there in the theater and i wanted to like that movie so much and there's the scene where they go to endor or like a moon of endor or whatever the fuck with this knife that they do the goonies thing to that they hold up to a rock formation mm-hmm. Next to the Death Star, and they're like, "Oh, here it is! It's like fucking MacGuffin City. Like yeah. it's, it's
0: I, the did, easiest did, goddamn." Did, did you agree to do a first watch of that someday? Um, oh yeah,
1: we're gonna we're gonna shit on that movie like a motherfucker. <laughs> uh okay. If anyone appreciates our negative that a, reviews, like, that was, right, <laughs>
0: that was that was a fuzzy drunken memory that I just had, and like that I forgot. Oh, that we, I we're
1: I. I want to eviscerate that movie at some point. Like that movie, it's
0: so bad. Like and like, look. Here's the thing: is that like I think it became this unfortunate part of the culture war, unjustly so. Because I've told you this privately: is like this is a fucking Disney production, and Abrams is a producer on this thing. And do you like it? Is a it is bureaucratic as hell making a movie with this kind of clout to it. Ryan Johnson is not just making random decisions in the script and then in filming this thing that Disney didn't agree to. So what happened here is that this was very purposeful. Abram's remade A New Hope with new characters, with the same kind of like pacing and like, you know, did the nostalgia trip in order to set up this movie so Ryan Johnson could do the subversion stuff. And is the subversion stuff a little heavy-handed with how much there is in it? Sure, but he's doing it to take it in a new direction. And when the when the backlash came, they decided to throw Ryan Johnson under the bus and throw this movie under the bus, and then go back to the nostalgia kick and fucked it all up.
1: Right, because they they thought they had read the tone of the room, so to speak, correctly in that like people were ready for this. Like, different, like you know, people are ready for something different. Like, they want strong female lead characters, and they want, you know, whatever. Like, different character arcs and different mm-hmm. plots, and they don't want the same stuff. And then there was enough of an uproar from, like, this vocal minority, I think, I don't know if minority even, but, like, this vocal group of people, they were like, oh, shit. Like, what if our next movie doesn't make a billion dollars? Right. Like, let's fucking and that's the problem is that look those those people
0: that hated it would have watched the next one no matter what
1: look the problem
0: is is that we they're a bunch of damn trolls i mean like like they like these people care so much what's her name kelly tran that they they sent death threats man death threats to this young girl like it is it's it's insanity like that you would care that much, so of course they're going to watch the next one and go see it just to shit on it. Like, right? I, so Disney. So it's like I don't want to see Kathleen Kennedy go because of her wokeness or whatever they want. They want to criticize her for. I want to see her go for making the decision to sacrifice creativity. Like for money,
1: right? For being a coward, and now they're just yes. going to go back and make another trilogy to fucking right. wreck on this trilogy. Yes, so. right.
0: That yeah. And and look, people do want something new and different because the Mandalorian proves it.
1: Right, because the Mandalorian takes the essence of what makes Star Wars great and just tells a good story like right. using that universe. Right, exactly. That's it. Right, and they're doing something different with it. <laughs> it's right. not the same thing. You
0: know, so I even question, like, what if they would have done a new trilogy where a Jedi wasn't the focus?
1: Oh, people would have lost their minds.
0: What if it was good, though, like the Mandalorian is? I mean, you still have Jedis that could, like, be pulled into it eventually. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean,
1: I I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the issue with the first one, right? Like, aside from when you get past the whole Ray is like a force magnet or whatever. I mean, it's mostly people that aren't, you know, right. All right. Getting golden points, like going all (laughs) over the galaxy, trying to, trying to find shit. Um, all
0: right. We, we should probably stop this now, but, um, it's been a while.
1: Thanks for coming to our Ted talk. Right. Um, uh, you know, I, I was gonna make a joke earlier, but then you started saying something. I forgot. I was gonna make like, "Is the next trilogy gonna be written by Jordan Peterson?" Is like,
0: <laughs> hey, talk about unfairly malign Sometimes I feel bad for Jordan Peterson. Sometimes he he's like psych- he's a psychologist who got popularity and went outside of his wheelhouse as a psychologist and a guy who like studies like like cultural like anthrop- psychological like uh psychology and like pop culture and stuff like that it's interesting stuff um but when he had to go political and go outside his wheelhouse yeah he makes some unpopular decisions i hope he's well though with his addiction issues um all right so number three on your list is um halloween three uh season of the witch no it's not what oh sorry i skipped one yeah i i forgot the bold hellraiser 2 um well spoiler Um, now it's all spilled okay well see you should have thematically like done that movie as three and then this movie as two and then it would have worked out well that's what i got confused on as i was looking at the numbers here um so number three on the list because frank didn't think this through is hellraiser 2 um, from 1988, directed by Tony Randall, who was recently on a what 94 horror list, directing Ticks, um, that we made fun of his um, CB radio like career or something that he has. Um, it stars Claire Higgins, Ashley Lawrence, Kenneth Cranham, Doug Bradley, uh, and it has a 50% from critics, a 58% from audiences um you want to tell us a little bit about what happens in the sequel and uh why you put it on the list
1: um i put it on the list at number three because i felt like it was the third movie i wanted to talk about <sighs> despite the fact that it's the second movie in the series um i apologize for not sinking to the lowest common denominator in my fucking numbering choices um it's the sequel to hellraiser it's basically takes place like <sighs> 10 minutes after the first Hellraiser ends with uh, the daughter being taken to um, a mental institution um, because they think that she murdered all these people. Um, but in reality, you know, they were murdered by um, the forces of hell, more or less, um, led by the Cenobites, who were led by Pinhead, um, one of the more iconic uh, horror movie villains from the 80s and beyond, Um She's being manipulated by this doctor who's into researching the um, lament configuration, which is the Hellraiser box, um, who wants to find, like, all these secrets to it. Um, but really what he does is open a portal to hell by using this weird Gelfling-looking deaf mute um, that he murdered her mom, who can solve puzzles to, like, open this puzzle box. Um uh, Claire whatever her name is the stepmother is um, brought back to life through this bloody the bloody mattress where she died um, she comes out of it and is a skinless like a uh, Uncle Frank in the first movie um, the doctor turns into a penis-headed Cenobite, I guess um, for lack of a better term um, because he's embraced like the pain so much um, and then they chase each other through hell a whole bunch. Um, until finally, like, he kind of oversteps his reach. Uh, they close the puzzle box, they kill him, um, and they escape back to the real world. So, that's it. Um, it's Ooh, really. I'm sorry,
0: I've had myself muted because I've been laughing off and on through the that entire description. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you were doing that on purpose or not because that is one of the most absurd descriptions I've ever heard of a movie on this podcast
1: it's accurate though isn't it it is sure like almost to almost to a fault i mean like what do you like okay so (laughs) i'm a huge fan of and we've talked about this recently because we just talked about um, lord of illusion uh, and nightbreed not too long before that and in the mouth of madness before that so my and hellraiser like a couple years ago my love for clive barker is been pretty well documented on this podcast i don't think i need to talk about like just briefly like i think that he has amazing ideas i think that he creates really fascinating um, unusual worlds um, of fiction like debases um, whatever like his stories in i think that he embraces an outsider's approach to storytelling in terms of like his characters um and i think in a way to sort of like talk about things like like homosexuality and um you know just people who live like especially in the late 80s early 90s who are living outside of necessarily like the light of society in a lot of ways like people that need to keep their secrets hidden um and that's what the centibites are you know i mean that's like the whole thing about these people that are in hell is that they take pleasure in something that other people find to be like, whatever, uncomfortable or hideous. Um, And I think that's his way of commenting on like how people demonize like those that are different from them. And I know he didn't direct this movie, but he like, it's all based on his works, um, stories and whatnot. So I just like the continuation of that mythology. Like, I think the, um, lament configuration thing with the puzzle box, I think is really fascinating. um I think the iconography of the way that the centibites look, um, you know, the chains coming out and hooking into people, um, the really uncomfortable like things with the way people are tortured and stuff. It's just um, it's pretty fascinating. It's unfortunate that the lead centibite is just basically a giant penis and like a penis with like multiple penises like doing things off of its penis body um i don't know if i'm necessarily a big fan of that design but um it's interesting because i mean that's like it really is just a representation of that doctor as a character which is this alpha male who's willing to like sacrifice basically women to his own ends um and is trying to use women to like further like his desires and goals and It's not done out of a sense, it's just done out of a sense of power on his part, like he just wants to be the smartest guy in the room. Um, Some of the special effects are hokey, but it's a really low-budget movie from 88, so, and I guess filmed in 87, so there's, I don't know, like I kind of forgive that stuff. Um, I don't know, it's just, I, I, I know that a lot of people don't like this movie, and growing up I knew people that hated this movie. Um, That loved Hellraiser and Hellraiser is 100% like a better film than this is. But as a continuation of the idea of like the Cenobites and the idea of like you create your own hell based on your own like fears and um, personal shame and whatnot. Like, I think it's a really interesting take on that. And I think it's honestly, it's the best sequel in the Hellraiser series. So, yeah, I don't know. feels very low budget though when you watch it i think that's one of the downsides It does what's
0: what's interesting is like a lot of the things you said there that i i do agree with you um in terms of the positives of this movie um i just think i liked and i'm glad you went through uh the stuff with clive parker too because for people that don't necessarily listen to the horror episodes all the time um uh I don't know if they've heard you talk about Clyde Barker, honestly, um, ever. So, um, but I just like the smallness of the first movie, and I think I think what I was trying to express to you the other night, maybe like too severely, was that I thought that this movie, ex- like, opened up the world too quickly. And I think I just like small horror movies as opposed to things that are broader, more mystical, and more grand. Um, So, like, I, you know, I mean, you look at, like, all the horror movies that I really, really like. They're usually almost always small horror movies. And I love Hellraiser because it just takes place in a house, basically.
1: Um, It's, It's one of the best haunted house movies of the 1980s.
0: Yeah. And I, and I just think opening this up, it's not that it's like you couldn't open it up. It just feels like to do it over the course of 90 minutes is too quick to me. Um, and I just don't think that kind of like larger, grander, mystical horror is my bag necessarily. But I do like the... I've always liked, you know, in terms of like being horrifying the like the s m elements of um you know like the the you know uh the sadomasochistic elements of uh, the chains and like all that kind of stuff i think sure. it's really horrific and um i do like a lot of the imagery in this at times um and i do like it when it's on a smaller scale i think it's just like the last like 20 minutes or whatever it is 25 minutes like where it gets broader just feels like it happens yeah. too quick to me
1: i mean i don't I don't even disagree with that I just think that I think there's a lot of people that malign this movie as being bad right? and I just I mean it's him it's, it's going in the direction that the books of blood eventually open up into which is his ideas of like the smallness of like certain things like leading into broader like hellscapes and whatever i don't know no thank you um yeah again like i like the way it looks Ooh. Yeah, it's getting tired it is really tired in here um i like the idea of like the Cenobites, like they're portrayed as these immortal like demons almost and then you find out that they're just people mm-hmm. kind of like and people from the modern age who sort of just gave into like the temptations of hell and were sucked into it and then kind of became like masters of and tools of it as a result and again like i think a lot of that is talking to in subtle ways the idea that you know just because the things that you like or that whatever like you find titillating or erotic aren't accepted by the the main like the majority of people doesn't mean that it makes you like necessarily a terrible person right right even though they are pretty terrible i mean they're demons and they're murdering people but right. his allegory i guess whatever i don't know i like my barker that's the end of that i'm talking myself into a fucking corner
0: all right so i'm gonna have to
1: go back and listen to my description of that now because i have no idea
0: it it, it, it was i i mean it didn't start off like in the most positive way which is where it's a sequel to hellraiser like what do you want or something like that along those lines. Um, and then it just was like the most hmm, it was really funny though i enjoyed it Extreme um of conscious it, made, it made it it made it seem like you did not like that movie whatsoever like from the way you described it i and- really enjoy
1: it i actually love the ending to that movie when um the moving guy that kind of like resembles frank a little bit like this slimy gigolo like goes upstairs and gets sucked into the bed mm-hmm. why the hell people like reach down and touch like obvious wet blood and they go to put it to their face like I don't get that in this movie because that happens like four times. They're gonna but smell then, it. I think they're trying to taste like mm, mm, the blood, <laughs> corn sir. Um, like they're cleaning out this dude's house. They're like, hey, let's get this bloody fucking mattress. Right. Um, like, why is the blood still so wet? You know, obviously that should be a red a red flag. Should be. Um, but then like the pillar of like pain, like rising up from it. Um, with all the Cenobites trapped in it, I think is a really cool image, and I I really like that ending. So that's it.
0: Okay. So number two on your list is Halloween Three, um, Season of the Witch from 1982. It is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. It stars the incomparable Tom Atkins, Stacy Nelkin dan O'Hurley, ralph Strait, and michael curry it has a 41 percent from critics and a 27 percent from audiences it is the lowest rated audience score on this list um do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie
1: and uh, why you have it so high so let me preface this by saying that i watched movies in a vacuum for a lot of years of my life in the sense that like I didn't really talk to people about movies that I liked and that I watched. And I didn't really know, aside from like the most popular movies, like what other people were watching and enjoyed. I always loved Halloween three, like as a kid, like I always liked Halloween three more than Halloween two and was stunned as I got older to find out that people hated this movie as much as they do. Like, I just didn't understand. And like, okay, so maybe I was a little disappointed at first that there's no Michael Myers in it. But like once you get over that like small fact and like who fucking cares cuz you already got like two other Michael Myers movies if you want to watch them at that point. Like I don't know. Like I it's so the basic premise is that it's starts out 8 days from Halloween um and this old man is murdered um by basically the men in black kind of um He's attacked by him and then he goes to the hospital where Tom Atkins is a drunken doctor. Tom Atkins in one of the most aggressively sleazy roles ever put to screen for a main protagonist, I think. Yes. Like like Nick Nolte 48 hours level of just like despicable human being that you're supposed to root for. Um so this old man gets brought in who's been assaulted. Um while he's in the hospital. Um, this pasty dude in a gray suit comes in and breaks his face through his eyeballs by ripping out his nose in one of the like th- there's some really like ridiculously inventive like kills in this movie of like people getting like dismembered and shit but then the man in the suit goes out to his car douses himself in gasoline and lights himself on fire which is one of my favorite fucking scenes in like um 1980s horror like honestly Mm -hmm. like i love that shit like the look of it like even though you can tell it's a mannequin at the very end like it still is really like powerful um so adkins um who's playing dr can't remember his name daniel daniel chalice callus or however they say his name Mm -hmm. um Decides to abandon his family and familial responsibilities at Halloween to go with this possibly underage girl to investigate her father's death because her father was a dude that got murdered in the hospital and then his killer Emily like self emulated himself. Um, so they find out the last place that the guy was was picking up Halloween masks, um, from this company called Silver Shamrock. Um, that's basically owns this town out on the coast of california i guess um northern california i suppose is where they are um so they decide they're going to go investigate silver shamrock um throughout the course of the movie like you continuously see um advertisements um for silver shamrock uh masks that um can, can i play
0: the the car it's just a little bit of the commercial for them?
1: yeah go ahead time, kids. Okay, I'm done. Chris, trying to get my head to explode there, motherfucker. <laughs> turn into bugs um i think it's
0: brilliant i i love the fact that the commercials keeps playing at different points throughout
1: right it's 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 such a fantastic um oral like cue so that when it like when they start to build like the insidiousness in like it's insidious in the beginning anyway but then they like really build into it and I, I think it's fantastic like the way it's set up so basically they go to this town that's owned by this old irish um entrepreneur who went from making um like basically like joke store gags, like big vomit and stuff to making Halloween masks. And is like the nation's premier um, manufacturer of Halloween masks. And they have the three most popular masks of the year, which are the witch, the ghost, or the witch, the skull, and the pumpkin head, um, which all the kids want. So what it turns out is that um, the guy is a... Irish like Satanists or not even Satanists, but like druid who needs sacrifice in order to um gain power and is going to use um these chips that are embedded in every single mask to murder every child watching this special broadcast on Halloween night and use the psychic resonance from those deaths to basically bring about like I don't know, whatever, the end of the world or whatever the fuck he's doing. Um So they succeed at doing that because Tom Atkins, I'm really getting far ahead of myself. Um, Tom Atkins and the girl go and investigate and have a couple of really unnecessary sex scenes where you're made to think that porno mustache, 40 year old Tom Atkins is this ladies man. Um, also implied that the girl might be under 18 years old a couple times, but Tom Atkins doesn't care. Um, and she doesn't care because she just wants to have sex with Tom Atkins um really probably like this that this must have been the inspiration for nick cage for the majority of his career in terms of like how to cast yourself in a role because it's Tom atkins getting all the ass in this movie um and she's really attractive to the girl that plays um uh grimbridge ellie or whatever they see nothing yeah um so they go to the town they go on a tour of the um whatever the plant where it's manufactured um she's an idiot and kind of like shows her hand by showing that like she's the daughter of this guy that was murdered because she gets all excited when she sees his car or like agitated um she eventually gets kidnapped and tom atkins has to try and rescue her um it turns out that again like what i already said that there's this big like um druidic like conspiracy to use a piece of stonehenge um to channel all this, like, evil energy on Sam Samhain or whatever. um, He eventually rescues Ellie. Uh, they escape, but it turns out that she's been turned into a robot, and you find out that all the men in gray suits that have been, like, going around, like, killing people and stuff are all robots, too. Um, So he has to, in a hilarious scene, like, fight her robot corpse. Like, first, like, she crashes her car, and then, like, he has to fight her arm, which got ripped off. And then he has to fight her like corpseless or headless corpse without an arm. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a pretty funny scene. Um, so they activate the signal um, and they show you in this one scene where this kid um, whose parents were big mask buyers who were on a tour of the, um, the plant get locked in this room and the kid's head basically like implodes. And then bugs come out of it, like all these like beetles and worms and shit, like i'm crawling out of it, which is fucking horrifying. And I thought was like ridiculously cool as a kid. Um, so Tom Atkins tries to go and save everybody by in the most ridiculous plot point in the movie. Um, calling one TV station and saying, like, hey, I know you have no reason to listen to me, and this is like the most popular broadcast ever, but I'm gonna need you to shut all them down. Mm-hmm because shut it down reasons right reasons i can't really explain and they're like oh yeah like we got you um so one station stays broadcasting and it's implied that like all the kids are going to die um some some really great like practical effect deaths in here um there's a woman who's staying at the motel in the town where um atkinson elliard's saying um who accidentally dislodges the chip from the mask and when she's trying to pull the chip out like she knows there's a microchip behind this um medallion that's uh attached to every mask like a unholy laser beam shoots out and hits her in the face and basically splits her entire face open um and a beetle like crawls out of her mouth like it's getting, it makes no sense like at the time and even like i guess in the grand context of the movie like what sense does any of it make but um the practical effects are pretty gruesome there like with her face being split open and seeing like her skull and her boiled eyeballs underneath like as her flesh is like peeling back from the wound it's um just a really great practical effect. Uh Tom Atkins is 100% out of control in this movie like you can feel the fucking like booze sweat coming off of him the whole time and yes like the fact that like every woman in this movie is in love with Tom Atkins like the attractive, um, what is a medical examiner who's pining for him at home and um, his wife who just wants him to stop drinking and be a good husband or father. And then this like possibly 16 or 17 year old girl that just, you know, <laughs> the fucking the funny, the most disgusting and funny scene is <clears throat> they decide to get a hotel ho- room. And Tom Atkins is like, well, maybe I should get another room, you uh-huh. know, and she's like well no because that'll spoil the illusion and he's like well maybe i could sleep in the car you know because it'd be more comfortable than sleeping on the floor and she says is that where you want to sleep and he says you know the answer to that question and then just like kisses her like this child
0: like wraps his arms around her yeah it's 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 gross man
1: um The funniest thing is like, I mean, there's so many funny things in this movie, but like he just got in a fight with his wife because he wouldn't leave the hospital because the guy got killed. And then the guy burned himself up and he's like, I can't go anywhere yet, but I'm going to be there for the kids tomorrow. Like I promise. And then tomorrow he's carrying like a six pack of beer, Mm -hmm. like just (laughs) casually. And it's like, oh, um, doctor's convention. What? I don't know. It's crazy. I can't remember where I'm gonna have to go right now, like on the trip I'm going on. But I'll be back for Halloween, I promise. He doesn't even make it back for Halloween because then his kids all explode because she doesn't believe him. Right. Which I guess is like supposed to be the true horror: is this guy's been such a terrible father that he can't even save his own children. Um, But anyway, like I don't know, like it's 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 maligned because people just want more Michael Myers, like stalking around and killing people, but there's enough of those movies like people should just get over the fact that this isn't a Michael Myers movie I mean the original idea was the same as <clears throat> the original idea for um the Friday the 13th series which is that it was going to be right. an anthology of films of bad things that happen on a specific day of the year so Friday the 13th was supposed to be movies about bad things happening on Friday the 13th not you know right. a serial of films about Jason Voorhees and then same thing with Halloween but you know, the the mass killer thing was so popular that the studios couldn't resist but just keep keep making those movies so sure. yeah. and it's funny it's funny too because there's three movies that come after this movie in the chronology um or the film filmography i guess of the halloween series um that i think are much worse than anything else in the entire yeah maybe not worse than the rob zombie ones those are not good no but it's this idea that like Michael Myers is this um fear elemental or something like he gains power from oh, I don't know like Sam Ain and he's basically like this immortal being and um, I don't know it's just it's it's such a departure from like you know what gets it right is the the first movie obviously and then Um, The Halloween reboot from 2018 Like that's all people want to see You know is the idea of like the lunatic Stalking people like on Halloween night And just being like silent and Menacing and brutal and I don't know that's why I'm so afraid of Halloween kills Have you watched that trailer yet? It feels like such a cheap...
0: I can't find Halloween free anywhere. I like to actually watch it without paying for it. So, now I haven't watched the trailer because I haven't watched that movie yet.
1: Really? I thought it was free somewhere. No. It's free for Frank, I'm sure. It definitely is because I've watched it in the past couple months. I watched it with Frankie because he had never seen it and he really liked it. Fucking brutal. The other thing, too, with Halloween 3 is that it's one of the few movies where it allows children to die. Like most movies, I'm not saying this is like a super positive, but most movies refuse to like show the death of a child or glorify it because it's a really uncomfortable thing. But it takes some balls to like, you know, kill a kid in a movie. There's actually a good Spanish movie that was remade about ten years ago. Oh, I mean, this
0: is the one where she like she like captures them in like some kind of fucking room in her basement, right
1: that's Halloween
0: the the one from a few years ago,
1: yeah, yeah, but it makes sense in the context of the movie.
0: oh no no, no. i I forgot that I did find this movie and watch it, and i fucking did not like it
1: really yeah, I really like it more.
0: I wasn't I, I like like it's well it's well executed. It just was the same old bullshit to me, and I didn't really care for it that much. Like,
1: I mean, I think the same old bullshit is okay when it's done to such a high level of... Yeah, um,
0: as soon as I saw Judy Greer, I was like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this movie. I was drinking when I watched it, but um, <clears throat> I, 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 I thought it was okay. It was fine.
1: I love the opening of it. I think the first, like, 40 minutes of that movie are fantastic.
0: No great shakes, I thought. Is
1: what I thought Like, when he's making his way to Haddonfield?
0: So, I will watch the Halloween Kills trailer at some point.
1: Yeah, well, it'll be disappointing. Like, I really was not impressed with that. Mm-hmm. So, you'll probably love it because you're so wrong about everything. So, I'm not the
0: one that put Halloween 3 at number two. Um,
1: it's the appropriate place for it, motherfucker. I actually <laughs> enjoyed watching the movie. <laughs> More than any other movie on this list, so it really should have been number one. But I think the number one is the appropriate number. It's one. really
0: funny that now that you mentioned Rob Zombie, because that was one of the things I was going to ask you about at the beginning, and I forgot to write down. Was Devil's Rejects? Um, I have two quick questions about this. Is okay. one, would you consider that underrated, considering the scores are worse for House of a Thousand Corpses than um, No
1: Devil's Devil's Rejects is like an appropriately rated sequel,
0: right? And, i think that
1: most people recognize that as the best movie in that series
0: and i was having a really hard time remembering when i thought about this the other day have we talked about the devil's rejects on the podcast it feels like we have, but it was early
1: yeah was it best
0: sequels of the 2000s or something like that
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. that is the list is on i think
0: or 2010s or something oh
1: it was no, definitely 2000s because it came out in 04 or something like yeah. that Devil's rejects
0: yeah Yeah, so it was like our sixth episode or something.
1: Yeah, it really early on. I mean, it'll it'll come up again at some point because I fucking love that movie. Right.
0: Um, The only thing I want to say about Halloween three is like I had the Mike Myers thing told to me before I saw this. Like when I was fucking twelve years old, Wesley told me ahead of time. Like I think that Michael Myers wasn't in this, so I knew going in he wasn't in it. Um, And but he liked it still, and I liked it when I first saw it, I have not seen it since then. Um, I just remember liking it when I was, you know, whatever, between the ages of 12 and 15, whenever I saw it and I watched it again. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for slightly different reasons. Now I think than I did when I was young, like I, I really liked some of the horror elements and stuff like that. When I was young, now I like it for some of the more ridiculous elements that you pointed out. Um, particularly how like fucking sleazy, um, uh Tom Atkins is in this. And look, Atkins Atkins is a guy that I should not like whatsoever. But you think about it, I really like Halloween three. Like I really like like Night of the Creeps is one of my favorite 80s horror movies. Yeah. Um you know, I mean he has like a special place in my heart too for um as Hunsacker in Lethal Weapon. Um fucking same albino jackrabbit, son of a bitch that did Hunsacker. Um what is it? Maniac copies in, right? Yeah. Yep. Which I like Maniac Cop, the first one. Um so yeah, like and this is a guy I should not like. He's in the fog, right? Um uh-huh. uh
1: like
0: which is don't like as much as those other ones, but I it's fine
1: um right it's a fine movie because you've seen my father no seen, well, delivering me a cheesesteak
0: yes but you've seen it and it's like i should not like tom atkins um like whatsoever but i do like he's i think he's fantastic in like everything that he does um and maybe it's just because I love Night of the Creep so much. I don't know, but um, because that's probably the first movie I ever saw him in, um, even before Lethal Weapon. But <clears throat> I um, I really love him. Here's the thing you didn't mention that is always fucking awesome in every Carpenter-related movie. I fucking love the score of this movie.
1: Oh yeah, it's amazing.
0: Fucking yeah. fantastic. Um, and it's like there's like elements I hear in the score that definitely end up like certain like themes that he does I don't know I don't know musical terminology but it's like certain things that he does that end up in big trouble um in in a few of the different like pieces but I love the score of this movie um it's so different than Halloween 1 and 2 to me um and the other thing I really like is I love um oh fuck what's the character's name in this um Uh, they are the
1: oh uh cochran yeah um
0: yeah dana dana hurley um who plays andrew packer in twin peaks i love him in this as well um and so yeah i I mean i think it's
1: you know you know what's really great about that performance too is like he's so even though he's kind of sinister when you first meet him he still is that's like beatific and whatever like calm persona and then the way that he twists like his whole body and face and head Mm -hmm. to become like this like sinister like i don't know like rictus grimace the whole time for the end of the movie yep like where he just becomes pure evil like as he's trying to destroy like basically everyone all these kids like it's just Mm -hmm.
0: no no you're right it's it's really good I don't um,
1: understand why people hate it. Like I don't know, it doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, it doesn't me either. I look, I I looked it up. I mean, what a lot of people complain about is the idea that it's not a Michael Myers movie, because that's what they were expecting going in. And I think those are more recent reviews, probably from audiences. um
1: Well, that's even fucking dumber, because if you know anything about movies, like you know that you know fucking Michael Myers. Mm, um, yeah, I mean,
0: so Guy P. Um, I, I found one that wasn't related to the idea of that. son on Rotten Tomatoes says that horrible movie with absolutely ridiculous plot and so many plot holes, hardly any scares that aren't telegraphed, acting isn't terrible, but script leave so much to be desired.
1: So uh, does your writing, guy pierce <laughs> Posed S- subject of verb agreement error. <laughs>
0: All right. So that, but that, that's also typical of like what is not about Michael Myers not being in the movie. Um, it's just that kind of stuff. Oh, fuck them. Number one on your list Jesus, I poured out a drink here is 1985's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, directed by George Miller, starring Mel Gibson, Tina Turner, Angelo Rossidi, Bruce Spence, and Frank Thring. Um, has an 80% from critics um, on Rotten Tomatoes and a 49% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this sequel and why you have it number one on the list? And if it's, unless it's to just make me talk about it at the very end. Is there a reason I genu- you're on that? I,
1: I genuinely think this is the best movie on this list, both in terms of direction. Go, go, you go
0: ahead and, and tell us why you think it's the number one movie on the list. I'm mean, interested right. to hear this, like a, in a coherent way, and not I'm a I'm an a antagonistic st- way, which we've done previously.
1: I'm gonna set the stage, okay? Okay. You have so first of all, let's preface this entire conversation by saying that Chris does not like Mad Max movies, no matter what he says. I like
0: I like Road Warrior.
1: He's and I, li- and I
0: like Fury Road. You're, you're yeah, making but- me mute and unmute in order to because I'm trying to pour my drink while you talk. Um, but listen, I like the second and fourth movie out of all this stuff. Right, but he's not, not a fan because like he movie. doesn't
1: like all four. So uh, let me let me let me let me do my review. Just no, uh, no drink, Your review is uh, <laughs> your review. I'm, s- I'm setting the stage for why you're going to be a bitch about like me. The- right. Well, it's it's important to understand the context.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Of I, Beyond I, I, Thunder.
0: I, i'm gonna let you finish all right
1: so george Miller has this whole universe that he's created right like that's it's his thing like he's all four movies are directed by him you know he wrote or co-wrote all four movies the character is 100 percent his character all the ideas come from him so in this third movie max is now years removed from being like A patrol cop out in the outback with his wife and kid who are both long dead he's been wandering in the wastelands for so long that he's kind of really even lost like his outward appearance of humanity like he looks almost like a wild animal so he gets all his shit stolen from him and he runs into this place called barter town um where the tina turner character anti-entity um, basically tricks him into getting in a fight with um, the de facto leader of like the underside of Bartertown, where the pig feces is harvested to like power everything that's there, um, Master Blaster, uh, who's a little person riding on the back of a giant, and they're wearing armor. Um, so Max beats him, and then when he takes the helmet off of Blaster, um, he finds out that he's mentally handicapped and can't bring himself to kill him. So Max is basically run out of town um, on a horse or camel or whatever, and then that dies and he has to walk. So in his travels, he's found by a group of young kids who are very much and very obviously uh, like a Peter Pan, <clears throat> um analogous, like Lost Boys tribe who live in this oasis, which is the only real... Until, like, the latter part of, until one part of Fury Road. It's the only vegetation you see in, like, most of the movies. Um, They live this, like, wild, like, unfettered existence. But they also live based on the idea that this um, mythical pilot is going to come back and fly their ship and take them to, is um, it never, it's not Never Neverland, it's something similar to that the neverlander so whatever they call it like some mythical like place beyond like where they can see where there's people in civilization so some of the lost tribe want to stay in the oasis and some want to leave max who's like now lives you know a decade of his life as like a nomadic wanderer in this post-apocalyptic wilderness is inclined to stay because he realizes the value of water and vegetation and safety um but is struck by the spirit of this girl who's kind of the de facto leader of the group who basically demands that um they need to go seek out um whatever they call fuck i wish i could remember what they called the place um so she leaves and they follow and they eventually go and liberate barter Town. not liberate Bartertown, but they save um Master who's been held captive, and um, they escape. And in the end, um, uh, Max sacrifices his own freedom to hold off anti entity so they can fly away. And um, one of the repeat characters from uh Road Warrior, uh, the um, what do they him? The gyro pirate, gyro pilot. Um, and in the end, they're grown and they're still telling the fable of um the Mad Max character who basically sacrificed himself to save them and keeping their lights lit. So he might eventually find his way uh, back to civilization. So I really, one of the reasons I love this movie is like pure nostalgia because I probably watched beyond Thunderdome a dozen times as a kid and up through like my teenage years. Um, number one because I just I I love the look of it. Like I really like the entire aesthetic of Miller's universe. Um, in the makeshifts armor and costumes, and just the way that it's kind of influenced, I mean, it's not even kind of. It's influenced like pretty much every post-apocalyptic movie, like ever. Um, and especially like created so many. Um copycat films throughout the 80s and into the 90s even into the modern day whenever they show people like you know that are in the wilderness of any kind of apocalypse whether it's like nuclear or biological or you know zombie or whatever shoulder pads and leather and spikes and you know makeshift armor on their cars like oh it's just hugely influential including this movie um and it introduces the idea, really, of, like, society kind of coming back into some semblance of order, like, even though it's based off of lies and manipulation, like, it still is a city, like, you know, people reestablishing, like, this semblance of, um, of law. Um, and some really, like, great quotable shit in this movie, too, like, you know, bust the deal, face the wheel, 2 men enter, one-man leave, probably the biggest contribution is that from this movie. Um And then some smaller, like, quotable things that I, my friends and I in high school and used to always quote, which is like the everything marked, everything membered. He's got the knowings and the doings. I don't know. I just, I, I think it's got a lot of. When you get past the just sheer, like, brutality of the first movie, which is definitely filmed <clears throat> in a more grindhouse way, um, to the fantastical elements and the almost like adventure aspect i think of the second movie like i think this is a combination of the two where it's got some really ridiculous fantastical elements it's definitely influenced by not only stuff like you know peter pan and whatever but also like aboriginal myth and the idea of you know the oral history of things where people like build this mythology around an event and make it like elevate these people into being almost like demigods in their own their own mind in the way that they you know mythologize Rokitansky at the end of the movie um I love the way it looks I think that Miller is I don't know I already said this kind of but in like set design and the way that he films things and the fact that a lot of this movie is filmed like in the sunset or it's filmed like in like twilight or dawn so it's kind of like showing that this is sort of like the end of this world, like its existence, and moving into like the whatever, whatever this world is going to become. Um, I don't know. I like the performances. I like the soundtrack. I like the score. Oh, I think it's a pretty great movie. You know who agrees with me? Oh. Roger Ebert.
0: Yeah. Um, I love that all the quotables that you mentioned um, take place in the first 45 minutes of that movie. Um,
1: uh, everything marked, everything remembered, and he's got the knowings and the do-ins, and That stuff's all at the end of the movie. I mean, it's after he gets to the oasis.
0: Knows and doings. The, don't they, the, they, they They reference Mark and Remembered early on in that movie?
1: Mm, I don't know. The part I always remember it happening is um, the kids say it where they're talking about um, reading when he's unconscious, where they're talking about reading the story of the um, uh, what's his name? The pilot something or whatever. Captain, whatever they call him. Coming back to rescue him.
0: Right. I I remember that happening. I thought it was mentioned earlier in the film as well. Like near the beginning. Like in the first like twenty minutes or so, but um, I do like the language of this movie. I'll give it that. Um, I like I like everything leading like up to the Thunderdome, and I just don't like the stuff with the kids. It's not a fan. I don't know. I don't know if that's like what most people don't- have a problem with, or what. I, I just feel it's tonally like two different movies.
1: There is and, a big shift in the middle. You're right, and
0: and, and and I don't necessarily see how they connect completely, but I think you did a pretty good job of explaining in your mind, and probably how in Miller's mind how they connect to some degree. Um, so I can appreciate that. I just don't like the second half. Um, no. I, I don't I don't like the chase scene in it, and I and I really like the idea of the chase scenes in these movies. Um. As they evolve over time, obviously, but like the chase in this just feels really poorly edited to me and not very exciting.
1: So, let me explain why I like the second half of this movie, and I think I can explain why you don't like it as a result. Okay. Without resorting to like basically just like name calling or whatever.
0: (laughs) So, you're going to like. Profile me or like psychologically analyze me, like inside. No, no, no. Right? no. I
1: just, no, I just think I know what you like and I think okay. I know what you don't like. And uh-huh. I'm just going to explain why I think you don't like this. Okay. So, throughout the first two movies, Max has been like in the first movie, Max is a pretty fully formed character. Like, he is a father and a husband and a protector and a police officer. And through like, you know, terrible incidents, he's driven to do terrible things like to basically turn his back on the law by the, you know, the law officer that he was to become just as like ruthless as the people, you know, who have like taken his wife and kid from. him, Right. Right. So then in the second movie, it's sort of a redemption from that in Max, trying to find ways to help people again, like to come back to being a part of society where he can be noble and be a hero. And, sort of like wash himself clean in a lot of ways of the violence that he'd embraced even though he's so violent in the second movie you know it's like more noble in what he's so that's him at the start of the third movie too is he's this guy who's just like been alone for a long time and when he has everything taken from him he's going to go take it back and he gets tricked by someone who's more savvy than him which is not something that usually happens and he gets sent out into the desert so that's like really the end of that arc of like the mad max and i think right right and i think what miller is doing at that point is he's using him as almost like an allegorical figure in terms of something like I don't want to say the hero's journey because it's, like, too easy, but it's something similar to that. Like, he turns those kids into almost, like, an aboriginal culture where they're, it's all superstition. It's all based on the spoken word memories of the past and things they've drawn on the walls and these memories they have. Because they're the survivors of this plane crash where all their parents died. And so they've mythologized, like, the return of this mystical, like, whatever, um, walker or whatever his name is that max looks like so they elevate him into being this like almost like mythical figure and then he immediately tries to back out of it by saying like you know that's not me and you don't want to go out there because the world is awful and the world is terrible but they're the hope of the future right like they're what's going to move the world forward and that's what draws him back into being like You know, after being beaten down and being like cast out into the desert and losing, you know, his pride and his weapons and all this stuff like that's where he comes back and finds this spark again to believe that there can be a future and to help these kids try and achieve it. And he sacrifices like he's ready to die when anti entity like runs him down after he's let the plane take off and he's resigned to his death. And it's only because she's so impressed with, like, his guile and also his, like, noble nature of, like, willing to, like, sacrifice himself that she lets him live. And then the question is, like, what does he become then? Like, he's a myth to this one group of people. And in reality, he's just this dude wandering in the desert, still, you know. And that's why, like, I love the start of Fury Road as, like, a bookend to that. Because, again, here's this guy. Who's just this dude wandering in the desert, like trying to survive and ended up getting like sucked into a group. And look, Fury Road is superior movie to Beyond Thunderdome. And honestly, Road Warrior is superior to Beyond Thunderdome. And so is um, Mad Max, like all, all three of those other movies are better movies than Beyond Thunderdome. But people shit on Beyond Thunderdome so much. And it's like, like. Miller was mourning the death of one of his best friends who he'd worked with on the other two movies and who was like a constant collaborator. And I think there's like this whimsical idea of, you know, like myth mythologizing someone through their acts and like making them something greater than they were. And I think that's what he does with Max. And I think it's, I think that if he never made, I think he needed to make Fury Road to bring that character back into the character that it is but if you only look at it as like almost like a eulogy to the max character i think it works really well and i think you know i think that's what miller was kind of trying to do so i think you don't like it
0: okay (laughs) fine
1: I just think you don't like fairy tales much, you know. Like I, I think that you're not a fan of fables, and I think well, when, when that
0: is like, and the more you start like, getting, you know, giving that kind of like your your view of it, um, I started thinking about like not just the Lost Boys, which yeah, I don't like Peter Pan's shit at all, like anything related to Peter Pan. I'm just not a fan. But um, I also started thinking about *Lord of the Flies*, and how I, I'm not a big fan of *Lord of the Flies* either, um, yeah. and. Yeah. So,
1: um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I get, get it. I,
0: look, I, now I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, that makes it, that does make it what the way you just explained, it does make it slightly better to me. Um, but I just don't, I just, it's not a thing I'm just going to like fucking hit play on, like ever, sure. ever again. Like,
1: which again is why I think that when I thought about underrated sequels, like, to me, it's, the number 1 underrated sequel and again i think it's the best movie out of all five of these movies but i also think that it's i think it's misunderstood because of how different it is from everything that came before it and the thing that came after it and if you read about the proposed um fifth mad max movie that they're making i guess they're making it now right i think so yeah um like it'll be in the same vein as fury road you know and that's fine like i think thunderdome is i think george miller is a genius i think he is one of the most underrated directors of maybe the past 40 years um because i think he has an amazing vision i think he's a great action filmmaker in a way that like i don't think people appreciate enough in the sense of especially from like a vehicular standpoint like people like whatever gush over stuff like fast and the furious but man like none of that stuff holds a candle you know to what miller does in his movies like actual you know he doesn't have fucking Tarzaning of whatever ferrari across a canyon like he actually films this shit like in motion without like cgi and i don't know i just i've i've always enjoyed thunderdome i think i enjoy it for different reasons every time i watch it but you know i think it's a fun movie and i think it's a nice artifact of like a more innocent time in terms of, you know.
0: Well, you at least give me that, that Tina Turner song that's recorded at the very beginning of that move,
1: movie. Is it's terrible. Terrible. Okay. All right. All right. But you got to give it up that we don't need another hero is a fantastic song.
0: It so. is. Yes. Yes.
1: Book ending the movie. Oh, this yeah. The opening song is fucking abysmal.
0: It totally makes no sense for that movie at all. It
1: doesn't. You know what I think it was? I think they were like they wanted Tina Turner to play Anti-Entity. Yeah, and she probably was like, "Hey, right. like right. I, I need to do some songs for this. Show. I need a
0: single, right? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. A... All right, to finish this up with this movie, can you name me three ways in which wrestling, professional wrestling, was influenced by Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Or it's just, just a,
1: nah, I guess just Mad Max in general. Um, is this is there a real answer to this? Oh yeah. I mean, obvi- I mean, obviously, some um, really obvious the, ones, and the Legion of Doom in the right. road. War,
0: the road wars, right? Yeah. Um. That was Dusty, right? I know actually, no, no. Sorry, that was Ollie Anderson. But go ahead. Yep, that's one.
1: Ollie Anderson was influenced by them to beat them, the Legion of Doom.
0: He was influenced by the movies to call them the Road Warriors and put the spikes on them and everything.
1: It was yeah. Bill
0: Bill Watson Oli, I think is who it was. Yeah.
1: Also giving him like the weird haircuts and all Sure, that sure. Okay. Um Is the Ultimate Warrior influenced by it at all? Uh, I don't think so. Because no. he was the Dingo Warrior, so I always assumed that it was because of the Mad Max movies that they would call him that. Right, like the idea that he was like this Australian, like lunatic or whatever, with his mm-hmm. face painted. And-
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I never thought of that, but maybe.
1: Um, what are the other ones? Thunderdome, obviously. Which one? What are you talking about? What are you well, writing? I mean, there's I've, most recently the WWE naming their right. Um covid facility thunderdome right is like a straight ripoff sure um wasn't there a wcw thunderdome
0: yep thing i'll give you both of them as two and three yeah there there was dusty was well first of all war games comes from like dusty's idea for war games comes from the man max beyond thunderdome um and then the actual thunderdome like it's named Thunderdome in like nineteen ninety one or whatever is, is Is that the is that
1: the three story structure with the
0: no. <laughs> no, no No, no. Um um that is the Tower of Doom or something? Right, like the that. Tower
1: of Doom, you're right. You're um right, you're right.
0: but the no the Thunderdome is the one where the um it's the big like wide like holes like in the cage it's the one where abdulillah gets
1: electrified like oh the other thing's awful yeah that was called the thunderdome
0: that was called the thunderdome yeah man i like just mood watched mood it and, mood and funk and flare versus flare right. thing happening. in it yeah
1: i just watched that um i just watched that pay-per-view like last year i think
0: yeah right um
1: I, yeah, think, it was, I but think we were Dem-
0: Demolition is also an acceptable answer because Demolition also was inspired because their rip-offs so of the Road Warriors was also right. inspired by. Um, there was somebody, uh, there was uh, Lord Maxine, um, who uh, was in a few with Randy, Wendy Richter in the late 80s in WWF, um, that was, you know, Green Mohawk and was um, like inspired by like. You know, the Mad Max stuff. Um, Lord Humongous.
1: Right, I was thinking, was there a Humongous?
0: There was. Lord Humongous, which most notably was done by Sid Vicious at one point, like in the late 80s,
1: um,
0: in USWA, I believe, in Lawler's territory in Memphis. Um, uh, but yeah, there's a lot. Like, Dusty loved the Man Max universe um, and would like try to pull as much. Oh, the Master Blasters. That was dusty too. Um, uh, it was the Master Blasters at first, which was one of Kevin Nash's versus gimmicks in WCW. And then eventually um, he just became the Master Blaster or just Master Blaster. Um, I don't know if you ever saw Nash's Master Blaster. but um, Yeah,
1: but I, well, I need to see it now.
0: Yeah, I think if you watch Halloween Havoc 90 um, on Peacock it was Um Peacock, um, exclusively on Peacock, um, except for Daily Motion, probably, which you can also find it uncut. Um, yeah, I think it's Halloween Havoc '90. I think Master Blaster maybe shows up on. Yeah, Dusty Dusty loved it, um, and would um, try to like reference it all the time, like in different things. But but a lot of wrestlers did, um, which is funny to me.
1: So, apparently, WCW had at Halloween Havoc 92, uh, Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal.
0: Oh, yep. That's another one. Yeah, absolutely. With uh, Jake Roberts and Sting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was Dusty as well.
1: This is what I get for looking up um, yep. Mad Max in popular culture.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, it's also, I think, Vader and Sting did it the following year at 93. Maybe. Um, spin the Wheel, Make the Deal. That's part of those uh, fucking fabulous vignettes that we love so much, like with Sting and Davy Boy and Vader and all that stuff. Yeah, it's not as good as the Hogan ones.
1: What is it? The Ice Ice Castle, he,
0: of whatever. Uh, White Castle of fear.
1: Right, Vader's White Castle. Yeah, fear.
0: Hogan goes down into like the Vader's lair and touches like the, the waterfall and, and for some reason exclaims, it's not hot.
1: The water it's not hot, brother. <sighs> oh,
0: one of the best things of all time in professional wrestling is the idea that it's like he's touching water and for some reason he exclaims, it's not hot.
1: So what you get, what you get for letting the man um, do a shoot promo? Yeah,
0: well it was after mr nanny um so he didn't have much left in him at that point what is he gonna do um watch episode like one what 12 113 listen to that episode of mr nanny um <sighs> okay you, you saw me a little bit on the importance of this movie i still just I'm not a fan of the last half of it, but right, I, I get you, you sold me on the importance of it, like thematically, psychologically.
1: Well, that's what I'm here for.
0: All right. You're doing it. It's the life pose. I am. Now, um, <laughs> you're very pleased. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Immensely pleased that I've. It's the life is when you put like both of your clasp both of your hands behind your head, um, which is an old Conan O'Brien reference from the 90s. that um, You've seen that skit now, right?
1: Oh my God, yeah. I, I, I,
0: I found it at some point because like so only O'Brien and I knew that skit for years. Um, it's the life, um, where it's like every time like they had something that was like positive about their lives, they would say like it's the life and clasp their hands behind their head. Um, which ends with Conan after he's been in like a terrible motorcycle accident. No, no, Andy, in a terrible motorcycle accident, is in a full body cast. Conan's over top of his hospital bed. I know you can only see Andy's eyes, and Andy is in the pose with his hands clasped behind his head in the full body cast, and Conan says, it's, it's the opposite of what it should be. So it's Blink, Blink once, for no and twice for yes <laughs> tell me is it still the life <laughs> and they like zoom in on andy's eyes like you know so it's like he blinks once for no, <laughs> and then it's like this tense like is he gonna blink twice for yes and he blinks twice for yes and it's still the life, <laughs> even though he's been horribly disfigured and mangled um <clears throat> great skip.
1: It was funny when I saw it, like when you showed it to me, like 10 years ago.
0: Right. It had to be longer
1: than that. Mm, it might be. It might be like 16 blocks. Years at this point. 16
0: blocks came out 15 years ago, Frank. Um,
1: I seem to remember it was one of the first phones that one of us had that could play video. Mm-hmm. And we were at Dunkin' Donuts on 896 getting called. I'm sure call that's and...
0: exactly right. I'm sure that's exactly right. Yeah. Um,
1: Probably like 06 or 07 would be my guess at that point. Yeah. still a long time
0: all right so next week we're off um and the following week we will be covering the top five horror movies of 1996 which is an incredible year um for horror movies um a pivotal year for horror movies in a lot of different ways and then next month as i said we will be back for um the overrated sequels um, which includes a podcast about Nolan's Batman trilogy and then the top five horror films of 1997.
1: August is hot take month.
0: August is? Yes. No, that's right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll deem it that.
1: Um, the hottest month for the hottest takes.
0: Yeah. Frank's, Frank's going to figure out a way at some point in that podcast to shit on Memento, even though it's the one movie that almost everybody loves a Nolan's am yeah, I right I am I right am I right I don't
1: dislike Memento
0: <laughs>
1: you always you always try to get me to say I hate Memento Memento's fine <laughs> okay all right I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna convince every listener somehow during that podcast that Insomnia is um Nolan's best movie
0: no you're not going to do that. You hate that fucking movie.
1: No, it's so bad.
0: <laughs> I have heard you. I have heard you when you've been a little lubricated. Um, talk about how fucking like overrated Memento is as well.
1: Well, it's not like the Second Coming of Jesus. It's just you know, in terms of his entire whatever filmography, I think it's fine.
0: Okay. Just because
1: something, just because I say something's fine, doesn't mean I think it's good. Uh huh.
0: Okay. All right. We'll we'll see how that plays out. I'll figure out a way to trigger you on that though.
1: Um, I'm gonna watch it again just so I can't be triggered.
0: I have not watched since I first watched it ever. So, um, maybe I'll watch it again as well. Uh. All right. Any final thoughts, Frank?
1: No, I I think it was a mostly enjoyable list to watch. So
0: So enjoyable besides Ghostbusters 2.
1: Yeah, I really did enjoy everything except for Ghostbusters 2. I actually kind of marked out a few times during Last Jedi again, but... Yeah. I, um... Yeah. Yeah. Should have put something else on the list. We should have talked about it. Well, it
0: would have been Predator 2.
1: Right, but it could have been Alien 3.
0: It could have been a very brady sequel, which is what you should have put on the fucking list. Because it's a good movie. It's fine. Yeah, but I don't
1: I re- I don't remember that
0: movie. Crocodile on the two.
1: I think that's properly rated.
0: All right. Good night, everybody.
1: <laughs> good night. <laughs>